I'm going to begin today the first part of a seven-part series entitled Understanding God. Uh, and as I've prayed about this and, and really researched it uh, and asked God to speak to my heart, I have concluded that so many of us do not have a proper understanding of God. We need to have a clearer understanding of who God is. He has revealed himself through scripture. And so I'm going to endeavor over the next seven weeks to bring this out to you so that you can see the verses, you can study the verses, and you can understand what he expects from you. That's what this is about. This is who he is. This is what he expects from, from us. Now, in the following weeks, I will speak about these traits of God each week. The goodness of God, the sovereignty of God, the holiness of God, the wisdom of God, the justice of God, and finally, the love of God. I'll do that each week. Uh, and so I hope you'll be a part of this sermon series. In so many ways, we as humanity and even the church have marginalized God, you see. Because of our puny, finite minds, we can't come to grasp with this creator of the universe until somehow we put him in a box. Uh, and we make him, we've attempted to make him, our cosmic concierge. Am I right? For many of us, that's the only time we reach out to him. I need this. I need that. I'm sick. My relationships are falling. Where are you? I need you. I need you. Instead of having an ongoing daily, let it even be hourly, communion with him uh, as the Lord God of creation. Uh, and that's what he wants. And so we're going to explore all of that over these next several weeks. Uh, now, when we don't have a proper perspective of who God is, you see, it distorts our lives. Uh, many of us have had an improper perspective of God our entire lives. Uh, we have assumed that God is just like us. Well, let me break it to you. He is not. He's nothing like you at all. Uh, we have reduced him to measurable terms for our puny, finite minds. But God cannot be measured. God cannot be put in a box. Uh, and so, and we have significantly overlooked the very ways he re has revealed himself to us in the Bible. And that's what we're going to study. Uh, and so in the present series, my hope is that this series will help you to impact your relationship with God, uh, your self-view, the decisions that you make in life, and everything about your life as you understand who God is and what he expects from you. I want you to be able to visualize God in your heart. And so even as the way we believers approach God, and even in the way the church approaches God, we need to think about this way of understanding who God is. And so the first sermon point I have for you is this. God is not like us. All right? If you don't get anything else out of what I'm speaking today, and you leave with this, it's a success. God is not like us. Uh, we will never see a reflection of God, of ourselves in God. Never. While the Bible tells us that we are made in his image, God is still not like us. At our very best, we only represent a hint of who God is. 
Now take a look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 25. God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. This is 700 years before Christ will be born. Whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all of these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the heavens, the heavens of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. There's a couple of points I want to emphasize there in this, in this reading, and that is no one can fathom the understanding of God. His mind is infinite. His wisdom is infinite, the creator of the universe in every way. And so don't try to sit there and determine how God acts or why he acts the way he does. And I like the fact that in these verses, God indicts Israel. Israel here is Jacob. Uh, why do you say, why do you complain, Jacob? Have you ever been in that position where you complain about who God is or how he's acted? Why don't you, why don't you do this, God? Why don't you do that, God? Uh, and, and then he says there, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Now think about how ridiculous that is, that you say that your way is hidden from, the, from God, that your cause is disregarded from God. The, the creator of the universe doesn't know what you need, doesn't know what's in your heart, doesn't know what's in that you require to have a successful life. Uh, and, and he says here, the Lord is the everlasting God. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can possibly fathom. And so that's the essence of this week's uh, sermon, on knowing that we will never be tru truly be able to fathom God, his understanding. But we bow to him, we worship him, we submit to him, and as we, as he, we do that, he surrounds us with his love. Look what David said about God in 2 Samuel chapter 7. How great you are, sovereign Lord. There is no one like you, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. Look also at Psalm 46, verse 10. He says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. How many of us have been still as we try to understand God. How many of us have quietly said, Lord, speak to my heart. I will be still, instead of the concierge lists of requests that we have. When we reach out to God, is the first thing we do when we get on our knees, do we go through the laundry list of what we want? Look, I grew up like that. I understood that. I mean, that's how many of us have, have lived our lives. But I have to say to you that when you get on your knees from the way Jesus taught us to pray, it's all about honoring God, blessing God, thanking God. All of those predicates must take place before we reach out and ask him for anything. And frankly, you don't even have to ask him because he knows ahead of time what you need. 
And that's when you have the true understanding of God. Uh, look, look at what Paul said in Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgment and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of God, the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Understanding this. I love this one verse there, which speaks to my heart, which says, Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? You know, when you turn on television and you look at some of these televangelists and you'll see various uh, false theology, you will see the theology of prosperity. And the theology of prosperity says, God, let's make a deal. I'm going to give you this in my right hand, and you're going to give it back to me in my left hand. You've seen this kind of theology. Well, you read, it's, it's clear this is nothing further from the truth. We don't make a bargain with God. We don't, we don't ask God to repay us. We don't do with what we do because we have a bargain that what I'm doing to you, God, you're going to give back to me. The creator of the universe doesn't need your money. Let's understand that. He does not. But he needs your worship, and he needs your glory, and he needs your submission. And so you see it. How unsearchable, Paul says. How unsearchable are his judgments. And so instead of sitting there and try to conjure up what God is doing, instead what we need to do is bow. Bow in submission. Lord, I accept your will. Lord, I don't understand why this is happening to me, but I know you hold me in the palm of your hand. I don't understand why I have to go through this trial or go through sickness, but I know, Lord, I've read the scriptures. I know you love me, and I know you will be there for me, even if I do not truly understand it. And so the bottom line here is this, that no one has ever, ever known the mind of God, ever. And so we must recognize him, you see, as the source of everything. Through him, everything exists in this world and beyond. There is nothing in the world or creation or in the universe that God has not touched. The sermon point next is humanity tends to reduce God to a manageable concept. We shrink him down, you see, as we try to put him in a box so we can manage him. All right, because he's so great that we can't come to terms with him. Well, then if we reduce him and make him smaller, we feel like we can get a greater sense of who he is. Look at what we did uh, in, in the world in terms of understanding the nature of creation. Look at, look at how ridiculous the Big Bang theory is. All right, that somebody set off an explosion somehow, and out of the explosion, everything came together. All of the planets revolving around the sun. All of the right position perfectly with the sun. The stars in their perfect position. Everything coming together. The oceans, the mountains, all of the creations come together because it's just an accident that happened. Because our puny minds can't come to the understand the fact that it was a creator that said, let it be so, and it was so. And let me tell you how ridiculous it is to have that view. 
Would you say that there could be an explosion in your garden and you went out and guess what? You found a Rolex watch? That's about how marginally ridiculous this concept is of saying that this all came about because of some indecipherable big man. Bang. Look at Romans 1, verse 21. Although they knew God, Paul says, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. You understand what he's saying there? He's saying that even though they knew God, they saw him in the creation, they saw him in his power, they did not glorify him and did not give thanks to them. Instead, they went on their futile way. And the Jewish people, the Israelites, are the perfect example of this. As God calls them out of Egypt, and they're in the wilderness, and God has taken care of them, Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments. And Moses made the mistake of staying up there for a few days as God gave him the commandments. And when he came back, what did he find? He found them dancing and worshiping a golden calf. That's who they were worshiping. That was their idol. That was their God because that was their perspective out of coming out of Egypt. Well, you know, you see, you see how God repudiates that. And when you read that uh, passage of Scripture, what you find is that the, the ground opened up and thousands of people were swallowed by God. You can't fool around with God. God demands us to be worshipful and to glory Him. And so we do the same thing today. We treat God lightly. Uh, we only visit God when we need something. Lord, I just got a bad diagnosis. I need you. Lord, the stock market's just tanked. I need you. Lord, my relationships with my family are tanked. I need you. And yet, do you come to him every day and thank him for what he's given you? Do you lift him up and bless him for the light of the day? Do you thank him that you have friends here in church or that God has brought you to this church? Do you thank him for everything that he has surrounded you with on a daily and hourly basis? Or is it only about me, 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 me? Put yourself in the shoes of God. Is that how you would want to be worshipped? Or instead, would you want people to bow before you and thank you and bless you for all that you've given, given him? Uh, and this is an important lesson for us to understand it, and especially so over these next seven weeks. Look, there's no greater lesson on this than Job. Job, the oldest book in the Bible the oldest book in the Bible. In Job chapter 38, and you can read it yourself when you get home, uh, God confronts Job and his erstwhile friends who are demonstrating that they know nothing about God and effectively complaining about the way God has treated them. Uh, he's been knocking on heaven's door, but he's not getting an answer, and finally now comes the answer. And it is one of the more powerful chapters in the entire Bible. Uh, and so here's what you understand. The peace that God gives us does not come from understanding. You understand that? The peace 
The peace passes understanding. The peace of God becomes any understanding of really what is taking place. But instead, it's because we bow in submission to the will of God. Uh, And so this is true even today. You will never have an answer for many of the things that come through your life. You'll never have an answer. But you accept that you're in the hand of God, that you walk with God. Uh, But now that you reach out to God, and God will answer you, and he will give you a peace, a peace that answers that. And so here you see Job 38, beginning with verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the the storm. He said, and I want you to get this sense of God standing there and speaking to to Job like this, and put yourself in the shoes of Job. Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Do you think Job's legs were shaking when he heard that? And then I love these questions. These are the very questions that you have to give to a world that is lost, to people that that repudiate God. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? Can you imagine? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. And what does that mean? It means that as God created this world and the universe, the angels had a front row seat. You understand? That's what that means. They watched it. They approved it. They were delighted to see what was going on. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? And you know, it's interesting now that science is now coming to terms with the fact that many believe that the very oceans itself came out of the depths of the, of the, of the earth. Not only did it come from above, but it came from below. How about that? The oldest book in the Bible told us that. Why don't you open the Bible and read it? Maybe you'll learn something once in a while. You see how God is? It's not a secret. It's written. Uh, When I made the clouds, it's garment and wrapped it in thick darkness. Now think about this. This is written thousands of years before Christ would come to this world, and yet God is saying in this scripture that the world was wrapped in darkness and wrapped in clothes, in clouds which science now regards as true, okay? Somebody once said that at the end of time, when the, when the scientists finally climb the last great mountain of theology, they will find the Bible at the top. And I believe that that is so true. When I fixed limits for it, that is the ocean, and set its doors and bars in place, when I said this far you may come and no farther, here is where your proud waves halt. Can you imagine that God did that, created the ocean, and put the limitations in place? This far and no farther. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? Look, ladies and gentlemen, God will never be managed by the mind of man. You need to understand the greatness and sovereignty and glory of God. Look, we criticize the Israelites. It's so easy for us 
to criticize them for their continued idolatry. I understand. Moses was on the mountain. They come back, and they're all dancing around the golden calf. Uh, and God would punish them. But modern man is just as bad. All of us have some form of idolatry going on. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean this. Whether it's work or family or home or relationships or money, some of us have put those aspects above God. Somebody said to me today, well, we won't have that many people today because it's a little cold to get out of bed. That's worship of self. You understand? It's a little too cold. It's a little too cold. I always say to my wife, I dread when there's rain in Naples. Oh, my God, there's rain. Half the people won't show up. It's raining outside. Why is that? It's the, it's the worship of self. I don't want to be uncomfortable. You understand? I want you to think about God looking down on that. Or here's another one of my favorites. I have company coming in. I won't be in church for the next week. Because you have company? How about if you say to your company, I'm going to church. Come with me. If not, stay home. When we get home, we'll have pancakes. That's the example that God would have you say. That's what God wants you to do. But instead, modern man has raised these idolatrous issues where we worship all these things and we devote our time to them and effort at the expense of the God of the universe. Look, this is, this is not, I'm not picking on you. I'm giving you the word of God as God wants you to examine your heart. And so we, we tend to reduce, if you would, the life uh, Christian life to a formula. If I say a couple of prayers in the morning uh, or read some Bible verses or give some money away, we expect that's good. God's got me covered. Does that sound like the God of the universe? Does that sound like what God would have you do with your life? Effectively, we believe, well, we've done our part, God. Now it's up to you. Now it's up to you. We've marginalized God. And in effect, what we're doing is worshiping our own happiness. Oh, you know, so much of the world today is narcissistic. It's about my own happiness in every way. What do I need to do so that I'm happy? Instead of understanding we sit here at the will of God, as his submission. We have reduced God to a personal servant who has nothing more to do but our personal agenda. We have reduced him effectively to a dispenser of happiness and peace and prosperity and self-fulfillment. Instead of recognizing that when you're right with God, that when you're worshiping God and glorifying God, God will affirm you and lift you up and put you where you need to be as he holds you in the palm of his hand. So we must never forget, you see, that we live in a fallen world where bad things happen. Bad things happen. Bad things happen to bad people, and bad things happen to good people. Why? Because Satan has dominion in this world. You need to understand something. Something very serious happened at the Garden of Eden. When sin came in and corrupted Adam and Eve, it not only brought humanity to death, it brought death to the entire creation. Do you think God created the world so that we'd have hurricanes or earthquakes, or tsunamis, or natural disasters. All of this is a result of sin. The creation itself has fallen in sin. 
However, we are in this world. He's created us to be in this world. We are meant to be the messengers of light in this world. And so our job is to endure. Endure. Not always with a happy face. You understand? Not always with a happy face. But enduring because we've seen the end of the book. And we win. And we're going to heaven. And that's the nature of what we do. Look, the paradigm for this is that if you go back and look at the life of the first apostles, the disciples, every single one of them suffered martyrdom in some way. Now, you might come back and say, I don't understand it. I don't understand. They gave up everything for Jesus. And yet they all suffered martyrs' deaths. Why? Because God had brought them to a greater understanding. Life in this world is finite. I don't care if you make it to 100. What is 100 as compared to eternity? It's a nonsensical comparison. And God, God is trying to teach us that. Uh, and so here it is. Yet despite all of our human failings, even as we attempt to follow God, God dispenses his grace to us, his love to us every day. That's what he gives us. That's what we have by being his disciples. Look at John 16, verse 33. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. You will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. Yes, there's trouble in this world. There's suffering in this world. There's death in this world. But Jesus overcame it all. And as disciples of Christ, so will we. Jesus promises that. He promises that he will be with us always right to the end. And so the next sermon point I have for you is this. God can only be known as he reveals himself to us. This, this principle is explained in two different ways. First, God has revealed himself to man through the universe. Look at Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet they speak of the glory of God. You know, when you say to me, oh, I'm concerned about those poor savages in the middle of the jungles in the Amazon jungle, they're going to go to hell because nobody has come and given them a gospel tract. Nobody's given them a Bible. When you read these words, you understand God has written about himself. He's written about it in the stars and in the universe. It's clear there can be no creation without God. And yet what do we do as man? We worship the creation, but we don't worship the creator. Isn't it true? You see so many new age people doing that. Well, let me tell you, folks, get on your knees, worship the creator. Everyone on earth who has seen the stars, the moon, and the sun, and the sunsets, has understood the creativity of God. Spoke, Paul spoke about this in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. There he said, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, 
so that people are without excuse. There's no excuse. It is clear who God is and what he's done. Lift up your eyes and look at him. But nature, you see, will only give you a partial view of who God is. Uh, Where we see him most powerfully and most articulately is through his word. Look at Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in many ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. God is represented in Jesus Christ in every way. If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. As Jesus walked and lived and died for you, that is God. Jesus Christ, God used Jesus Christ to create everything that's in this world, everything that's in the universe. That's who God is. And Jesus made it very clear. Jesus said, if you want to know God, look at me. There it is. So when your mind can't really come to terms, fully understand who this sovereign God is, open the scriptures and read about Jesus because he's your God in every way. And so we see this. Jesus displayed the very character of God as he walked in this earth. Uh, And if we do not meet Jesus Christ through the scriptures, you will never come to a true understanding of who God is. Look, the best example of this was Jesus walking with the disciples of Emmaus. You know that following the crucifixion. And as he's walking with them, and I did that path. I went to Emmaus. I saw that. It's only six or seven miles outside of Jerusalem. And really, there's nothing there. There's not even a church there now. But there's there's some rocks in an area, a parking area where it's marked out. And there Jesus opened the scriptures and pointed to them all the things that he would have to suffer that were written about him from Genesis right through the entire Bible. It's all about Jesus because God wrote the Bible. This is who God is. This is who God wants us to understand. This is who God wants us to come to terms with. This is how we have to worship him and bow to him. So if you leave here today with this understanding of that, I need a greater, deeper, more profound relationship with God, then you're getting it. Then you're getting it. And that when you come to him, you bow to him, you pray to him, you bless him, you glorify him, you worship him. And if you do all that and you do it on an ongoing basis, multiple times a day, then suddenly if there's some request that you have, the door is opened and God sees your heart and he will look at your heart. But he knows your needs even before you articulate it. That is how great your God is. Amen, church? Let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you, Father, for this lesson that you've given us about you. Lord, I pray that our hearts are open as we come to understand how great you are and what your expectation of us is, Father. 
how much we need to know about bowing to you and worshiping you and putting you in its proper perspective. Don't let us reduce you to a small God with a small G, but let us, in fact, understand that you are the great creator of the entire universe, that nothing would exist without you, that you gave us Jesus Christ because you bankrupted heaven because you loved us so much. Please touch the hearts of every one of our people so that when they leave here today and they reflect on this, they will be drawn closer to you in every way. Lord, bless our people, protect them, and continue to lead them closer to you in every way as we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.